We're in a series called Will It Float? And the idea behind Will It Float is simply this. Oftentimes, those of us, especially in church world, I'm going to say, we use expressions or we say things that sound really good in the moment, but we're not always sure if those things that we say actually hold water. Are they true? Do they float? And so last week I talked a little bit about um, the first time someone told me that cleanliness was close to godliness, and so as someone who wasn't very familiar with the Bible, I thought, wow, that's really impressive. And I went back to my dorm rooms and I was like, you sinners, clean your room. And they're like, show me that in the Bible. And I was like, oh, I don't know that that's not in the Bible. Dang it. God never said that. He should have. It would have been helpful for many of us, especially parents. But since he didn't, <laughs> you can't just throw that around like it is truth. And so... We're going to open with, uh, last week we did, an ex- if you were here with me last week, just wave real quick, and, and we're going we're gonna, to, okay, good. Some, some of you were here, that was awesome. All right, I'm going to redeem last week just a little bit here. Last week we brought soda cans, and we just did a little vote, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, we had some other stuff going, but we're going to redeem with the soda cans. All right, thumbs up, you believe it's going to float. Thumbs down, you believe that it's going to sink, okay? So... I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull here. I'm going to see your scientific mind, how it works, or maybe just your guessing ability, how, uh, how good of a guesser you are. Don't worry. There is no one keeping score except me. Okay. <laughs> so the first, first item, and this is just from last week, and then we'll have some cool stuff for this week, all right? From last week, this is a Coke can. It's a Coke Zero can. That means there is zero things in here that are good. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's sealed, it's never been opened, and it certainly floated last week. How many of you think it will float again this week? Thumbs up? Do you think it'll float? Thumbs down? Do you think it'll sink? All right, here we go. Those of you who are here know Coke Zero floats. That's awesome. You drink Coke Zero, go swimming, you'll be fine. <laughs> now, this freak of science is a Coca-Cola with vanilla flavoring in it. It's like going to Starbucks for Coke. You're like, add a shot of whatever awful thing you can find and put it in there. Last week, we put this in the tank. Do you think it will float or do you think it will sink? Thumbs up or thumbs down? All right. Some of you, some of you are not believers. That's good. All right. Let's see if this actually does what it's supposed to do. It still defies all laws of science. It floats. I have no idea why. It is a miracle. (laughs) I want to make some comment about us serving that in communion this week, but I won't. I'll leave it alone. Now, this is just a normal Coca-Cola can. Nothing added to it except everything. It is 13, no, 39 carbs in it and 39 grams of sugar. Do you think it will float, or do you think it will sink? All right. Nothing floated. Nothing sank last year. You guys are shy. Give me your thumbs up or thumbs down. Come on. Let's vote. All right. What's it going to do? What's it going to do? What's it going to do? Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Bam! Look at science in action. That's a lot of sugar. Yes. 18 packets of sugar, the equivalent in one of those bad boys. What is bizarre 
is this has more and floats. So I am thinking they are lying to us on the side of the vanilla can. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sponsored by any of these beverages. <laughs> so pretty amazing though, right? Today we are going to, we are going to do a different experiment. I have some fruits and veggies, but I'm going to just uh, give you first off a lemon and a lime. All right. A lemon and a lime. No consulting with your spouse. <laughs> All right, we're going the lemon first. Thumbs up if you think the lemon's gonna float. Thumbs down if you think it's gonna sink. Some of you think it's gonna float? You've been bobbing for lemons before at a party or something? Some of you, I don't wanna know how you know that. All right, we're dropping it. Let's see what happens with the lemon. Oh, 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 look at that. Lemons float, awesome. All right, I've got a lime here. I got a lime here. Some of you think it's going to go up. Some of you think it's going to, some of you are thinking there's no way that I'm going to have this many things that float. You weren't here last week. They all floated. <laughs> all right. Here we go with the lime. What do you guys think? I need a drum roll. Oh, look at that. Science is fun. Science is fun. Okay. I like science again. This one's really easy. You've been to a Halloween party. You had germs that you transferred to one another. It was disgusting. But this is an apple. What's it going to do? Thumbs up, thumbs down. All right. Yeah, you guys know this one. That one's easy. Look at that thing. Springs up to the top. We will play a game with it afterwards. All right. <laughs> I got a couple other cool things. I don't even know what this is. It's a mango. I'm not a mango guy. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> All right. What do you guys think? This one's probably the heaviest one. Is it going to sink or is it going to float? You guys think it's going to sink? Everyone thinks, no one thinks it's going to float. All right. We got a one. We got one that's standing alone. Oh, thump. Man, that thing sank like a log. That was heavy. Oh, science is hard, like a rock, like a stone. A stone made of log, a log stone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, we're almost there. I'm having too much fun. All right. What about this thing? Yeah, I think this thing would fly if I threw it in the air. It is a pepper. I don't understand. It's not a jalapeno. That's the only pepper I eat. All right, here we go. Oh, man. Do you see that? You could ride on that. That's amazing. That will save you in an emergency. All right, you guys know what this is, though, right? Avocado. Is it going to sink or is it going to float? You think it's going to sink? You think it's going to sink? Here we go. All right. Oh, like a stone, like a stone, not a log stone. This is way more fun when it works, huh? You guys having fun? All right. This came out of Roger's garden because I didn't know that these grew this size. It's a cucumber? No. Zucchini? All right. It's the heaviest. It's at least the weight of a football. That's how I know it. <laughs> Not a Tom Brady football. Come on, guys. A real football. <laughs> Woo! Does it hurt anybody? Does that hurt? Is it too soon? All right. What do you guys think? Is it going to float or going to sink? Some of you. Oh, you guys are split even on this one. All right. We'll hold off on that because you guys don't agree. All right. How about the potato? It's going to sink. Uh, you guys have mashed a lot of potatoes, right? You guys throw them in the pot and they just drop. That's not fun at all. All right. Should we do this one or should we save it for the end? Do it? Is it to be all you're thinking about the rest of the service if I don't do it? I'm nervous about the splash zone. This is like a Gallagher thing, right? You guys are nervous in the front right here. If I drop this in, how high can I drop it from, you think? Good? No? Okay. 
All right, give me your thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? What's it going to do? All right, last one. Ladies and gentlemen, the giant, freakish, fair-sized zucchini. Oh, look at that. Yeah, you, you, could, uh, you could make a canoe out of that bad boy. That's amazing. You could get off a deserted island with enough of those. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was round two of Will It Float. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So every week we'll just open with some fun, uh, some fun things to make float. If you have good ideas of things that you think would be fun to float, um, email them to me because we'll have some fun with that. <laughs> but it's funny. We hear so many things in church, and we hear them from church people, but we don't always know if they're true. I heard one growing up uh, lots of times. And it was one of those things that wasn't really helpful if it wasn't true. And people would say things like, well, God helps those who help themselves. Ooh. How many of you heard that one? You can wave at me. Yeah. Yeah. You show me where that is in the Bible, and we'll talk about it. That's a tough one. <laughs> Sometimes we say things because Hollywood has convinced us that's how our faith works. Ever been, um, this one could sting a little, let me think. Yeah, I'll just say it. Ever been to a funeral and heard someone say, well, God got another angel today? Yeah, sounds nice. Certainly, certainly has a Hollywood vibe to it. I just got to be honest with you. We have a much deeper relationship with God than that of just an angel. Come on now. We're doing way better than that. We're doing way better than that. Sorry, angels. We jumped up the food chain on you guys a long time ago. <laughs> So oftentimes we hear things like that. One of the things that drives me crazy, though, is we get into environments with people who are oftentimes in pain or oftentimes in need or oftentimes looking for answers to some of life's biggest questions. And we are not prepared to go through that journey with them. But what we do have, come on now, is a Christian cliche or a saying that we feel like we can drop into their world and that maybe that will be helpful, but oftentimes it doesn't work. Some of you are going through things right now that are really difficult. Some of us are going through things like financial struggles. I'm not sure that there's a Christian cliche that's the right thing to tell you in the midst of your financial struggle. Some of you have gotten bad news from the doctor for yourself or for someone that you love. And I'm not sure that there is a cliche that I can drop on you that would be helpful for you right now. Some of you have, have, have just felt like the weight of the world has gotten heavier and heavier. And one of the most dangerous things that we say is what we're going to talk about this morning. Hey, don't worry about it. God's not going to give you more than you can bear. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Now, some of you are wincing a little bit because you've heard that. Maybe you've said it. And maybe it's been something that's come through you from time to time. And this morning, we're just going to be honest those words certainly are not in my Bible. And I got to tell you, those of us going through hard stuff, it is pretty cruel for you to walk into my pain, make a measurement of what I'm going through, and simply leave with, well, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. It can be callous, and it can be cruel, 
And those of us who love Jesus need to stop doing it. We need to stop doing it. Because when I get news about the loss of a loved one, when I get news that is devastating to my life, what is absolutely not helpful for me is for you to say, don't worry, God thinks you're really tough. God thinks you got a strong back. God thinks you can really eke this out. It got heavy in here pretty quick, huh? Because it hurts. So we got to talk about this today, and I know, you know, there's going to be some stuff that we walk through, but I really want to help us land on the truth, because we're really close to the truth. But a degree away from the truth, come on now, over time, gets further and further and further and further away. So where did we get this saying from? It's been in our culture for a long time, but I think the person who made it the most famous um, is a gal by the name of uh, Mother Teresa. Now listen, I'm on team Mother Teresa. You can give me that slide. I'm not saying bad stuff about Mother Teresa. But she said, I know that God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. That's a great quote, and I love it. And it's very encouraging. And Mother Teresa is awesome. I'm on team Mother Teresa, don't get me wrong. But her words are not scripture. (laughs) Her words are not the Bible. And those are good words that are encouraging in right context, but they are not a, a statement about the nature of who God is. But it is fair for us to understand we do have this expression in culture and we do have it in faith and we do have it in religion and there is room for us to explore why we got there. The problem is simply that God never said he wouldn't give us more than he can handle. As a matter of fact, as I go through this book, I see story after story of people who certainly got more than what we would measure is something you could handle. If I was sold into slavery by my brothers and spent 13 years in prison in slavery, I would not simply want to hear, well, don't worry, God thinks you can handle that. If I were in a situation where I was called to lead an entire nation out in the desert wandering for 40 years and then get right to the edge of the promised land and be told because of a mistake that I made early on in the journey that I wasn't gonna get to get to the other side of, 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 of the Jordan and get to get in the promised land, I would not be on the mountainside like Moses was being like, okay, God, it's cool. I would simply say, uh-uh, not fair. That's more than I can handle. We can go story after story. Elijah calls down fire from heaven, sees demonstrations of God's power and finds himself uh, on the run from a woman who wants to kill him. And he basically lays down on the ground and says, I wish that you would just take my life. I'm exhausted. I don't think the scriptures ever indicate that he was designed to handle that, that that wasn't more than he could bear. So we know as we walk through scripture, I mean, last week we talked about all of the things that Paul went through. Beatings, imprisonment, the death penalty, not just assigned to him, but he literally survives the death penalty. He was shipwrecked, not once, not twice, three times. God, if you think I can handle three shipwrecks, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. If you think, like, like, can we just be honest? Can we just lay it out? Three shipwrecks? That's like the minor stuff that he went through, but three shipwrecks? Three shipwrecks. 
So the problem is God never promises us that we won't experience more than we can handle. So we got to figure out where this quote comes from. I believe this quote essentially comes from us uh, looking at a scripture that doesn't say this, but thinking it sounds a lot like this. And so we take it and apply it to other situations. The, the Bible, if you're going to be with me, I'm going to hop all over the place today, but I'm going to camp in 1 Corinthians for a little while. Um, and if you want to jump with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start with verse 13 though, because this is where we get this expression from. This is, this is biblically where we go to to kind of pull this out of. And it reads as follows. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now that's an incredible promise of God. That is an incredible promise of God. You should know that promise of God. You should know that there is no temptation on this earth that is outside of what men could possibly experience. There is not a supernatural level of temptation that is outside of the ability of mankind to process because God's faithfulness, come on, is available to you and it will not be past the point of what you can bear. That's an incredible promise. It certainly does not say God won't give you anything that you can't handle. It certainly does not say that. And the problem is we think temptation could also be translated as trial or test. But temptation is temptation. It certainly does not mean that. So I want to walk through this passage and kind of see what Paul's talking about here because there is an incredible truth here. So we're going to back up to verse 1. And I want, I want us to see what's going on here. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. It's a church he planted. It's a church he has great relationship with. It's a church in a thriving metropolitan marketplace. It is in a highly liberal city, a hub. Think Seattle. It's like right in the heart of there. And this church is thriving. It is booming. Paul spent a ton of time there with them. He's come back and visited. He's written letters. He's corresponded with them. He has a great relationship with this church, which has sprung up in a town, in a city that is essentially historically always been incorporated with idol worship and idolatry and sinful, crazy, wild behaviors and expressions of faith. And in the middle of that, this small group of people heard the gospel, heard the story about Jesus, heard the story about a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And something changes in them. And they say, wow. And they start loving God. And then they start radically loving other people the way God loves other people. They start radically forgiving. They start radically loving and pouring their life in other people's. And this church explodes and it's experiencing the favor of God. And there's numbers growth and the spirit of the Lord is there. They're seeing miracles and things are happening. It is an amazing story what's going on in Corinth. But here's the problem. They've been so blessed in this culture that's so wicked that pretty soon they get relaxed and they start going, man, can, can we be honest? We do this in the American church all the time. God is so good and so faithful. I'm so glad he forgives us. And I'm so glad I have this access to his mercy. It's so amazing. It's really not that big a deal if I insert whatever thing you really wanna do here because you know God will forgive you down the line. That's what's happening in this church. They have allowed a tolerance for things that would be considered gross 
in the church because they were normal in their city. And that happens all the time. We see behavior and, and actions that are, you're just like, man, this is just gross. But it's become normal. And so we go, oh, okay. Well, it's normal for everyone else. Why wouldn't it become normal then for the people of God? So Paul's writing to a church that's struggling with this. And I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. And he says to them, For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse three, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Listen to this. And that rock was Christ. That's awesome. Let's stop right there for a second. Paul wants them to understand that in the history of people who follow God, it is a normal state to experience the blessing of God. That's good for us. That's good news. It is a normal thing for us to have seasons where we experience freedom. Come on, we were just praying that. We experience freedom because of the power of God. We experience provision because of the power of God. These guys are in the middle of the desert and they're getting food because of the power of God. They're getting water because of the presence of Christ. They have experienced blessing. Paul's saying, hey, our forefathers knew what it was like to experience some blessing. Man, do we underestimate how blessed we really are. Do we take for granted how blessed we really are? Sometimes I look at the numbers and it just staggers me. Sometimes, you know, I, I don't know, I wasn't planning to go here, but I, it's just some basic math. If, if you know that if you make over, uh, this is about two years ago stats that I, I was looking at. If you make over 35000 a year as a household income, you're in the top 5% of the globe. Of the globe. Over 60,000, you're in the top 1% of the globe. I just want you to understand that. You can go to places in the world where there is no distinction to them between you and Bill Gates and the amount of provision and blessing you have just here. And we're like, ah, you don't understand between my mortgage. Blah, blah, blah. I understand. I get it. I'm just telling you perspective, guys. The provision and blessing of the Lord has been amazing. Amazing. The blessing and provision in our church has been amazing. Paul says, they were all baptized into Moses. They all were under the cloud. You remember the cloud led them and directed them. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the spiritual drink for the rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Verse five, though, listen to this. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered over the desert or scattered in the wilderness. Dude, that's a burn. <laughs> I don't know how else to tell you that. Paul's like, listen, our ancestors experienced the provision of God and then they ticked God off and they didn't get to go into the promised land. Most of them died in the desert, having all of the provision and all of the blessing of God. They chose not to trust and live for God. Verse six. So these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul says that's an example for us so that we don't set our hearts and desire evil things. Verse seven, so do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulge in pagan revelry. We shouldn't commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them 
died. It's just history. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. It's true. You read the story. It's crazy. And do not grumble. I'll just leave that there for a second. Let's feel it. And do not grumble as some of them were and did and were killed by the destroying angel. What's Paul saying? They had all the blessing. They had all the provision. They had the protection of God. They were in the presence of God, but they left the plan of God. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. It's very important that we know the verse before the verse we're talking about here. He says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful, be wise, use your, this is the reason why the scripture tells us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's like, be careful, be wise that you do not fall. Verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The passage makes a lot more sense when we read the whole thing. He is talking to a church who has experienced provision, blessing, and to people who know the love of God, who have figured out in their own hearts and minds that they can manipulate that to do whatever they wanna do because God's gonna just be okay with me. And Paul's like, you need to look at history. Time after time after time, people have an opportunity to walk with God and then run from that and face the consequences of that. Be alert because when you think you're standing firm, you still can fall. I know that's heavy, but I'm just telling you what Paul said. Verse 14, therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. Here's the problem. They wanted to live for Jesus, but they didn't want to live with any self-control. You know anybody that fits that category? I really want to live for Jesus, but if I can have that, I want that too. And I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And then, you know, I have my get out of hell insurance in my pocket because Jesus, but I'm going to do that and want to do that. I'm just saying. Paul's writing to a church that has in their mind, they've bought fire insurance, so now go have fun and do whatever you want and burn the place down. And Paul's like, that's not how it works, but here's what you can count on. When you face temptation, when you face the opportunity to run from God, God will provide for you a way out. No temptation. That's good news. That's really good news. The Corinthian church, they just didn't want any self-control. What I love is if you go one verse before chapter 10, um, chapter nine, verse 27, Paul says this, and this blows me away. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. He's basically saying, I have to have my own self-control too. I can't just go do whatever I want. I don't want to be in front of someone, come on now, dropping the Christian advice out there, but I'm not living like that's true. Last week when we talked about uh, all things working together for good, I, I, I was kind of harsh, but I just said, listen, if you don't really believe it, don't you dare say it. If you're not willing to live it, don't deposit it on someone else. Paul's saying, hey, if we're trying to be an example for others, we better live it. Not that we have to be perfect, but we better care and we better want to live it. Some of us are 
frustrated trying to get our, trying to get our families to live for Jesus, but we're unwilling to evaluate our own hearts and our own actions. We're trying to get our workplace, come on now, to be more like Jesus, but we're unwilling to, to evaluate our own hearts and our own actions. Just saying. Paul says you cannot do that. This church had great pastors. They had Paul. Peter was familiar with this church. Apollos, we know, were there. They had great experiences with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is one of the most powerful depictions of a church uh, and the Holy Spirit uh, happening. It was in the church. They were experiencing those things. Paul's saying they were all blessed. Here's the problem. Sometimes we relax and then we relapse. Did you hear that? Sometimes we relax and then we relapse. I don't know if you ever worked through uh, an addiction or with people who did but, uh, or have, but I, I've been around it a lot. And there's a thing, man. When we stop working, we stop working the program, we stop doing the stuff, come on now. You relax, then you relapse. Paul's saying, when you think you're standing firm, when you're just thinking you can live in both worlds, be careful, be ready. So what does that have to do with, will it float? God won't give you more than you can bear. Well, certainly... I think we're clear that that's not what Paul's talking about. And so the context is everything. It's so cool to know who we really are. I think sometimes when we walk with Jesus for a while, it gets easy to just kind of assume things, just kind of assume that we got our stuff together and we get comfortable. And pretty soon things that weren't okay in the beginning get more and more and more okay. Pretty soon things that we had lines, like we weren't going to listen to this or look at this or do this or gossip like this or entertain like this. Early on, those things were hard lines, but we go further and longer in our relationship with Jesus. We experience, honestly, more of his grace and more of his mercy. We become more aware of just how amazing that forgiveness is. And then just kind of subtly, we begin to relax. And then we relapse. So here's Paul saying, hey, be on your guard against that and be aware when those temptations come, God's got this. So I think we need to identify the difference between a temptation, a test, and a trial because we're gonna experience all those things. And if we don't know what they are, then we won't be able to kind of understand how to interact with those different things. So what is a test? Let's talk about a test. A test is an opportunity for your faith in God to grow based on you trusting God. That's what a test is, right? We know throughout history, there have been times when believers, it's happening today, where believers have been challenged and said, hey, if you don't deny God, you're gonna die. We're gonna take your life. If you don't deny God, that's a test, okay? That's a big test. Sometimes the test is much more simple than that. It's at your workplace and everybody's doing it. And you have an ability to just say, well, I'm going to do it too. But a test always has to do with you trusting God and experiencing. It always is connected to your faith. Now, a temptation is when you probably want the thing you know God doesn't want you to have. <laughs> right? We all experience that. A temptation is, man, I could just go take whatever I want from this place and no one will know. Doors unlocked, yes. Someone left there, whatever. Free thing for me. Temptation, you probably want this. 
it's contrary to what God wants. But a trial, a trial is something different. Trial is difficulty in life that matures us and teaches us to depend on God. We're never promised to not experience all of those things. But God's response to us in those things are incredibly different. So trials, why would God even allow me to experience a trial? Well, because you live on earth and the earth's broken and sin has reigned in the planet and people's free will is evolved and things get hard. I was thinking about this nature of going through hard things. And one of the responses that God wants us to learn from going through hard things is that it teaches us to rely on him. I was actually thinking about the 23rd Psalm uh, and, and David writing this Psalm, talking about how the Lord is his shepherd. And I think sometimes we, we, we remember that David is a shepherd at one point in his life. And so we go, oh, shepherd, he wrote a shepherding Psalm. That's really cool. And it's intimate and it's deep. But we forget also that David was a father. David had a family and David was responsible for leading and he writes this at the end of his life. And you know what's going on in David's life when he writes the 23rd Psalm? He has a son named Absalom who has grown up. There's a big story, but essentially because of some sexual sin in his kids, his, one of his children has killed another one of his children. And now he is leading a rebellion against his father to take over the kingdom. Can you imagine a scenario where you're at war with your child, literal war, with your child who you love? Some of you have been at war with your kids. Come on. And here's David. He's been at war with his kid. As a matter of fact, it's gotten so intense that despite his best effort to bring his kid in safely, in the heat of battle, one of his soldiers has taken the life of his other son. He's lost two kids. Some of you are like, well, God, you won't give me more than I can handle. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. But I know in the midst of more than he can handle, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Ooh. Psalm 145, 18, he says, David says it this way, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. David wants us to understand God's presence. Come on now, his presence is always the promise. His presence is always the promise. The promise isn't that you're not gonna go through pain. The promise is that his presence is going to be available to you in every pain. What's interesting is, Paul, who wrote this no temptation passage, in his next letter to the Corinthians, he talks about his pain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. He's going from church to church. We were under great pressure. Ever been under great pressure? We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul saying the pressure that we experienced as we were living for Jesus was so much that we despaired of life itself. We felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul wrote that. Do you know Paul wrote that? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, come on, but rely on God who raises the dead. 
Paul says, you may die on the inside. It may be so difficult. Come on now, you've been through something and you felt like, I wish I was just dead. I've been there. This has been so heavy, I'm not sure I can handle this. And Paul says, we serve a God who raises the dead. And our hope is that his presence is enough. Jesus answered this same question in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's about presence. Take my yoke upon me and you'll learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God never designed us to bear it when it comes to hardships. He designed us to trust him and to hand it to him. The plan was always that. First Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him, all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So let me give you the actual promise of God. It's not that God won't give you more than you can bear. It's that God won't give you more than he can bear. Did you hear that? That's the promise. God will not give you more than he can bear because his invitation for us is in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of when things are difficult, we can trust in God and we can hand those things to him and he can bear it. That's the hope that we have. That's the promise that God gives us. So it's difficult. We go, okay, sometimes God will allow things into our lives that are beyond our personal strength. And those things do teach us to rely on him. They do teach us to rely on him. James talks about it this way, and I told you I'd take you all over the scriptures today. I don't always do it this way, but I just, we had to answer this truth. James talks about it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, no promise that it's something that won't be unbearable. Simply a promise that on the other side of trusting God, we will be complete and strong. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's break right there. What's the promise? The promise is you will experience things and in those things, they will either, they will either come on, take you from the presence of God or into trusting the presence of God. And when you trust the presence of God, he will carry it. You'll be with him. God is there through the tough times. We're not alone. When we give it to him in prayer and in faith, he can give us peace. When we trust him and call out to him, he can give us peace. It helps us through the tough times. So the answer is this. When we face temptation, we're supposed to take the way out. The difference with temptation is we're supposed to take the way out when we face temptation. When we face testing, we're supposed to stay faithful. We can't deny or run from our faith. But when we face trials, we're supposed to depend on God. You know, yesterday I was uh, 
I feel like I'm off my game today, so thank you guys for having mercy on me. I, I, I was at a really hard funeral yesterday. Sometimes funerals are, are just tough. And uh, it was a, a guy that went to church with us in Oregon for a season. And two weeks ago, they moved to Renton. You might have heard it in the news. He, he died in an elevator shaft. Somehow there was an elevator accident, which I don't even know happens in the real world. I thought that was a movie thing. I don't know exactly how that happened. But uh, he's a young man <clears throat> and uh, his wife and three kids. And, uh, and I did his funeral yesterday. They moved to Renton two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. They had lived in town for two weeks. He got up in the morning and went to work at 6.30 or whatever in uh, Seattle. And at 9 a.m., his wife, uh, my friend Sandy, got a call and was told, your husband has passed away. And she didn't even have anyone to call. They don't know anyone in town yet. Nobody. I mean, they've been there two weeks. And so I had an opportunity to be at the funeral because she didn't realize how close we were you know, 30 miles or so. And I was there yesterday and I shared. And then his brother got up to share. And I hadn't met his brother yet. His brother lives in Northern California. Cheers for the Niners. He's a good dude. Uh, <laughs> come on now. His brother gets up to share and I don't know his brother's story at all. His brother has a notepad about this thick that he's prepared thoughts and he's beginning to share. And he opens with sharing that he is the younger brother, two years younger than his, uh, than his brother Chris. And uh, Jeremy shares that he's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and that he and Chris had been in arrangements and Chris was preparing to speak at his funeral. Okay, just I'll hold it together for a second, okay. And now here he is speaking at his brother's funeral. And he opened with some words that I, I, I couldn't, I mean, I, I, I didn't have a lens to process other than it's just true. He said, I don't want you to tell me everything is okay. I don't want you to tell me everything is happening for a reason. I don't want any of those things right now. What I just want is you to be with us. And I looked down at my, my notes because I'm going to speak. And I just thought, man, I hope I never walk into somebody's pain and somehow try to tell them, don't worry about it. Don't feel it. This is going to pass. You'll be okay. In a very honest and raw and human way, this young man simply said, what's most important right now is that we're not alone. And you know this is true. You know this is true in your life. You know this is true when you experience pain. You know this is true. Come on now. You know this is true. I could give you pretty words. I could point out verses. I can say things that sound Christian, but maybe aren't, but have hope connected to them. But you know what you need? You need presence and relationship and love. He said something that was so profound. He said, you know what? It really doesn't matter what you say. I don't need you to fix what's happened here. You couldn't fix it with words, but you could be here with me and with our family. And that's true. And how powerful is our God that he understands, come on now, in the midst of our pain, the most important thing 
his presence. And that's what he promises us. And that's what he offers us.